Hello, I'm Gemma and welcome to another episode of Good Influence. This is the podcast where each week you and I meet a guest who will help us pay attention to something we should know about as well as answer some of your questions. This week we're talking about disability, advocacy and body image, how social media can be valuable in representation, examples of overlooked accessibility needs and how we can combine self-love and neutrality in building our confidence. So joining me this week is Sophie Butler. Sophie uses her online platform to advocate for accessibility and empowerment for the disabled community and for women in general. She was Cosmopolitan's Influencer of the Year in 2019 and was the first wheelchair user to be signed as a Gymshark athlete, now representing disabled athletes on a huge global scale. At the end of the day, before my injury, I didn't know anything. I was 21, very naive, probably very ignorant, actually the better word to use, and I'd never thought about disability before. So I guess I'll start and ask you kind of to like introduce yourself a little bit more and sort of how you ended up doing the work that you do now. I think that's something people always like to know is kind of people's background and story. Yeah, I do you know this question is always so funny because it it's it's always the opening question to every podcast and meeting that I've done. But every time it comes up, I'm like, who am I? And I start having like this crisis <laughs> in my head. But um, no, so I'm Sophie Butler. Um, I'm 24 from Essex, um, and I kind of fell into what I do now, like very very accidentally. Um, I had a spinal injury when I was 21. And I'd literally just finished university. And when I say just finished, I mean, I'd got my results that day. Um, So literally, as I say, just finished. Um, And it was about six weeks away, six or seven weeks away from my graduation. Um, So I spent my injury at 21. And um, long story short, I survived. (laughs) And um, in that time, I I kind of started to document my journey on um, social media. And uh, because I think it was just kind of really the only outlet that I had. Um, I think I was I was very lonely. But during that time, I mean, I had great people around me, but it, you can still be surrounded by people and still feel quite lonely in what you're going through. So I started to use social media as kind of a bit of like an outlet just to share my journey and stuff like that. And I think people really kind of took an interest in it because I think I was so, uh, I didn't even realize I was doing it at the time, but I think I was being so vulnerable in what I was going through that mm-hmm. people just started to kind of feel very emotionally invested in it. Um, and then as time's gone on, I've, the, my account has grown and um, uh, what, what I do has really started to change because I've moved away from sharing those first initial sort of recovery days to talking about loads of different things, uh, mental health and disability and self-love and representation and all those kind of things. And yeah, that's, that's kind of where I started. And it's just kind of like evolved and become like this beast in like its own like little thing. And I, <laughs> sometimes I look at it and I'm like, where did this come from? <laughs> I think that's one of the things that I find makes you a really interesting person to follow. And this, I don't know how to say this without sounding weird, because I also don't mean this like disrespectfully (laughs) to anybody else. But I feel like Instagram and social media is one of those things where you're basically rewarded the more kind of niche that you are and like the way that the algorithm works, like you're literally rewarded for being very easy to categorize and for talking about one thing or maybe like a couple of things but I feel like every time I see your stories or I come to your page like I I know what you like to talk about but you're always getting something different you'll be talking about music or talking about makeup or feminism or yeah self-love in general and like it's it's nice to see like I think you're a very relatable person because you do get like a real 
rounded sense of you from your page, which I mean as a compliment. <laughs> well, this is probably like, I feel like I've just come on here to be complimented. I'm very, I'm very <laughs> happy about that. But um, yeah, because I think I just kind of, I, I think, I feel like I've lived so many lives in like just 24 years, but I feel like, cause I have so many different parts of me and so many different interests. And sometimes they'll kind of just sometimes seep out for an Instagram story. Like last week, someone was like, I didn't know you was a history buff. And I'm like, I love history. And then sometimes like things like that will come out in their interest and stuff. And people just like, I didn't know all these things about you. You're actually yeah. quite geeky or, <laughs> you know, like all of these other things that come out. And, and I just kind of, I, lo- I like that. And I, I think that kind of goes back to where I kind of started on social media was as an outlet. So I think now like I kind of really love it that I get to kind of like have all these different parts of my personality and my life come out. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, you might, but as a, I say it as a viewer, but as I can, as someone who follows me or whatever, or someone you might see that and be like, like, oh, that's really cool. That's something about someone that I didn't know, which kind of makes them feel a bit more like a whole person and not just someone like behind an account. Yeah, definitely. Do you think like, was that something that you just naturally did or is it partly kind of intentional in terms of because you do a lot of, you know, work and talking about representation and stuff. Is that kind of part of it for you to be like, you know, don't just talk to me about disability or, you know, wider representation of of you as a person? Like, do you kind of think about that or is this just it's just how you do it? Um, it wasn't at first, I think, because I, I didn't start. I, I, I've always kind of like spoken about disability on my Instagram but it was more sort of just sprinkled throughout like more personal experiences rather than outright talking about these are things that happen to a wider community and these are things that is part of the disabled experience so I think at first I was more just kind of just talking about things that I liked and things that I enjoyed and I think the more that I've become aware of it it's it's not like I do it because I know it's important, but it's just kind of in the back of my head now that it's kind of like good to kind of show a well-rounded representation um, of people because I think one thing that would kind of really not upset up, I don't know if upset's the right word, but yeah, maybe one thing that wouldn't sit right with me is if someone just, because uh, I know it does happen to people online, if people just mm. saw me as, oh, that's a girl who talks about disability, you know, that's a disability rights advocate, because uh, for the most part, advocates don't choose to become advocates. We kind of have to be in order to survive. Um, and there's people behind that, you know, and just because someone is disabled, it doesn't mean they have to be an advocate. They're just trying to live their life. Yeah. Um, but even if, you know, we do decide to become advocates. There's people behind that, people with interests and families and friends and emotions and, and all of the things. So, um, oh, yeah, to answer your question, I don't think it was like intentional or whatever, but now it is in the back of my mind of like, it, it's important that people see that I'm like a whole rounded person who has loads of really weird and niche interests. <laughs> <laughs> so we've mentioned kind of the advocacy that you do, which is now well, as we've said, part of a very multifaceted, you know, picture that you show online. But when did you start to feel more like an advocate for the disabled community? And when did you start to feel kind of a bit more confident in sharing more information like about your community in general? Yeah, I think that's a really good question because I know it's definitely been like a a massive, massive journey for me because I know at first, like I didn't even really feel comfortable becoming an advocate for myself. So I think that is one thing that a lot of people don't realise is before you can become an advocate, and advocate for other people you have to be able to advocate for yourself and and that's a really hard thing to know because 
like even if we're talking back a few years ago and even now sometimes like you know if I'm not having the best of days or whatever sometimes something will happen or I'll experience some kind of ableism sometimes someone will say something or maybe somewhere's not accessible it's not it's not good enough um and I would kind of almost not know how to deal with that and I think it's there was like a part of me that deep down knew it was wrong and knew I should say something but I how I'd always just kind of never I'd never really seen people speak out against that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. I always just kind of felt like me and myself I kind of felt like a burden if I was to say something um so I I kind of didn't want to bother people um so I think that is kind of the one of the things that makes me so passionate now is because I know that there are so many people who would still maybe feel not confident to advocate for themselves um because I know that I still that 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 comes and goes um even now I would say that I'm a fairly confident advocate but even now with in my own personal life there are times where I think I can't be bothered to fight this battle today um so that that's probably one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about it and I think I I just kind of naturally as I grew in confidence as a person I grew in confidence like in that sector as well I guess I started doing more um like specific advocacy work on Instagram because I started to realize that um I don't know if you feel the same as well but when I I had this moment where I realized that people were actually listening to what I was saying um and I was like oh god people like actually yeah people are actually influenced by me and it it really scared me at first because I was a little bit like um I I kind of grew up a bit of like a a geeky kind of like unpopular kind of like kid I I was not someone who was very used to harvesting great influence so it kind of scared me a little bit first and I kind of had to really think about what what do I want to do with this 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 influence um so Mm -hmm. I naturally started talking about things that I was passionate about things that I've cared about whether that's politics disability um all of all of that kind of stuff and I started to use infographics um specifically to do that because I wanted people to look at the topics and look at the things that I was saying and care about them not because they were attached to my face but care about them just yeah. because they should care about them so I I could you know it, and, and I don't know if sometimes you'll find the same thing like I could upload a nice picture of myself with a really deep well-written ca- um, caption that's really important talking about mental health or discrimination or whatever but there'd still be people who would look at the picture and just see me and maybe not read the caption and that's just yeah. a game of Instagram you know it's nothing personal it's not that big of a deal but I thought if I really want people to listen to what I'm saying and not because it's coming out of my mouth just because they should care about it um I kind of have to detach my face from what I'm saying which is where the infographic stuff started to come out yeah that's really interesting I've not really heard people talk about that being the reason for infographics before because I know what you mean is that there's definitely I mean Instagram specifically is obviously an incredibly visual platform and you will always get yeah the people who don't read the caption and just go for the pictures which is kind of it's like whatever like people get to use their social media however they like but weirdly that's kind of how this podcast ended up coming about because I had at first made a Facebook group um to try and like get more conversation for the people who would be in the comments actually like engaging with captions and kind of like wanting to have conversations about stuff I was talking about and then it's kind of yeah it's like grown into then we've made it into a podcast for the people who do actually care about stuff which is exactly what you're saying I think that's one of the reasons I really I, I told you when I, when I first listened to your podcast like I kind of I really liked it and I, and I did generally like it before you asked me to go on <laughs> um so I think I think that's one of the reasons why I did generally really like it because like as you say it's, it's 
good influence and you're asking people just to care about stuff that they maybe don't know about mm. um and sometimes i hear a lot of the times when it comes to disability a lot of a lot of people for a lot of the things that i've heard is people say like oh you should care about disability rights because you could become disabled at any moment and i'm like you should care about disability rights because there are disabled people that already exist yeah. um and I, and i don't believe and what i think what i personally like to believe anyway is I, I know disability is a very ignored sector and when it comes to conversations about equality I, disability is more than often I, I don't like to say ignored but more forgotten because I don't gen, I genuinely believe that a lot of people would care about disability rights and accessibility if they knew more about the current state of affairs that we're in it's not yeah. that people are consciously ignoring it there are some people who do consciously ignore it um, and that's a whole other subjects but i think the i think a lot of the problem is people generally don't know anything about the disability rights movement or where we're at or what the disabled experience is like and i because i've known from my own personal experiences when even when i've been with friends or i've been on jobs with people and they've seen me experience certain things which to me now is just life and it's second nature but when they see me experience certain things it kind of really shocks them um and they're kind of just this is this is not good enough and i'm like okay feel free to go forward and continue talking about it basically what how i feel about things like this is like you people should care about things but i also don't expect people to know things that they've never been taught if you know what i mean so like giving people access to information and like different voices that they might not have come across like to be able to learn something I think having the opportunity to do that which I think you do a really good job as well of like making it making it accessible to people which I mean is a hilarious choice of words because you making things more accessible for people (laughs) who aren't making things accessible for you seems too nice of you but it was making me think of a post that I saw you do recently where it was kind of applying so in the UK we're coming out of lockdown ish now um and you were talking about you know it's people sort of complaining that they have to like book restaurants in advance and they have to like make all these plans and like make phone calls and figure out what stuff's going on and you're like hello (laughs) like I don't think you have any idea how it is like for disabled people yeah all the time (laughs) so like when it comes to that like what do you want people to know about so you're talking about like the disabled rights movement and what you want people to know about accessibility what do you want us to know? Um, I, I think the the most important thing to know is is first of all is that it has such a rich history to it, um, and you know I'm I'm at, I'm really grateful. I think back end of last year and this year I've seen some really great resources in terms of TV and media starting to cover the history of the disabled rights movement. Um, and I mean we only we only just got the, the Disability Discrimination Act in. I think it was 1995. Um, so that's just a year before I was born, um, wow. which is crazy to think about. Um, and and that that I think I think most people's misconceptions is I f- with surrounding disability in general is I think a lot of people subconsciously maybe think that someone else is fighting the disabled fight when it actually is and always has been disabled people fighting that fight. There's not always people fighting it for us. Um, and I think there is something in that there because I think when it comes to being a disabled person I think your advocacy and your um your kind of self is taken from you because I know sometimes when I go out if I I went out for lunch with my dad the other day and the woman in the restaurant was only talking to my dad 
Um, I'm literally right beside him. I'm nearly 25 years old. I'm a fully grown adult who is trying to talk to her, but she's only talking through my dad. So um, I think that's the first thing to note is that there is already a rich history and it is a fight that has been going on for a long time Mm. that has been led by disabled people for disabled people. And it's because of them people in our past, uh, not so far away past, that we have the um, the rights and the progression that we do have today. So, um, but then also the fact that it does impact every single sector of your life, even if we look at something, something that I love, which is music. So music venues, music gigs, accessibility in like transport trains holidays like I was trying to like the other day I was trying to look at getting away somewhere Um, and in terms of accessibility booking in hotels and things like that I I really want to get away to the Lake District so I was looking around looking around and there was like hardly nothing Um, and it's just like it's just not being aware I mean if I was to sit here and list every single way in which accessibility affects my life I, I'll probably be here all week because I'll be telling you every every single thing that I go through but it is really funny that that post that you brought up because um obviously people are so excited to get out um which is understandable but people were almost like what I've got I've got a book ahead and I've got to do this and I've got to do that and I'm like well I have to do that to get a train um and yeah. some well yeah at some stations they're really nice and some because I think because I get there's one line um, that I get very often so they kind of know me so they kind of know if I'm going to show up a little bit late or whatever that it's not that big of a deal and they'll still help you because I have to actually physically get a ramp out and put it onto the train so that you can use it so the ramp doesn't come out of the train itself which a lot of people seem to think does happen but it's not um so yeah so there's some stations that where that because they know me they, they're they're, they're quite relaxed about it but if um I was to not book um I think it's 12 or 24 hours in advance it's depending on what what way you're booking um then I mean they're well within their rights and I use rights in quotations because it's not right yeah. um to say we you know to say you you haven't pre-booked you know we we can't we can't do this we can't do that um and I know some really horrible instances where people have not been able to get to work and they've not been able to do the things that they need to do because of this or maybe I've I've luckily touch wood have never been in this situation but where they've actually needed to get off the train at their stop but the person's not been there to help them off so they've actually just been stuck on that train um, and it's things like that, like where um, it's it kind of really puts into perspective. Oh, so terrible. It's it's terrifying. And for me, for someone who who suffers with anxiety as well, like that is something that I am like always really scared of. Even though I know at the stations that I regularly get off, they're really good, and I've never had a problem. It's always something that's in the back of my mind that I'm just thinking this could happen at any moment, and there's not really much that I can do about it. That is so difficult, and I'm grateful for the conversation though because that's it's the kind of thing where as an able-bodied person like even when I'm trying to like pay attention to things and educate myself on things and be aware of stuff like I didn't know that about the trains that you had to book them in advance and like it has to be so far like and I think that's I'm sure a lot of people also wouldn't know that and I think hearing these things and then sort of having the opportunity to then be more aware of them I don't know I think it just it gives you a greater appreciation for the, for the work that you do you know yeah I, and I think I think that is I think one of the big problems is um like I guess with the, the subjects that I talk about is I think people have just genuinely and very instantly not been aware of them before and I'm, I'm I try to be and I, as humanly as I can be very very 
empathetic and sympathetic with that because at the end of the day before my injury I didn't know anything I was 21 very naive probably very ignorant actually the better word to use and I'd never thought about disability before so I do understand when disabled people get frustrated because I get frustrated about people not knowing certain things but then I always keep in the back of my head you didn't know anything um, four or five years ago. So, um, you know, there has to be a degree of understanding and patience there. And I I am more grateful than frustrated when people say, look, I don't know anything about this, but I want to, and I want to know what I can do to help. I do understand that as well, because it's quite, it's almost quite scary to ask at certain points, because like, even if people do care, they don't want to say the wrong thing and end up kind of I don't know. You don't want to be rude. You don't want to say something slightly wrong. You don't want to then put more also emotional labor onto someone who doesn't, you know, doesn't have to teach you anything. But it's still, you know, I think it's nice that, like you say, like when people actually can say, yeah, I don't really know much about that. I've had the luxury privilege of not having to think about it, but I would like to learn and be better. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's that balance as well of like, not want or kind of like wanting to know more and then not putting the emotional labor on someone so sometimes i i felt very like overwhelmed with especially like from instagram feeling like i kind of have to be almost like a bit of a wikipedia um, (laughs) to people because people expect certain answers from me and and a lot of the time i kind of i sit there and i think oh, do I even know the answer to this? Or maybe it's an experience that I've not had. Um, or maybe it's, you know, it's just something that I don't know about. And, and, it, and it starts to go on with topics outside of disability as well. And I have to really sit there and think, do I know enough to be talking about this? Um, but also as well, like with like the like a, a emotional labor, it's, I think from my perspective as a disabled person is I can go on Instagram and write the most fantastic infographic ever and put all of the information out there. But when I close my phone, when I close my laptop, it's still my life and it's still something that I experience. So I go out into the world, I I could be the most like bold, unapologetic person on Instagram, but that's not going to stop me from experiencing ableism or discrimination outside in the real world, which is a lot more scarier. Um, Mm. So I think that's something that I always, and, and I think that, that, that rings true for a lot of people on Instagram and the things they talk about, whether you talk about mental health or racism um, or whatever it is, you know, that, that you have to be understanding that this person is a real person who is closing their phone and going out into the real world and also processing a lot of very real um, experiences that they are they are handling. And it's really hard to subconsciously process things that are happening and then digest it understand it and then put it into a pretty infographic for people to then absorb and take in yeah and like just because you talk about something doesn't mean you've like leveled up from it and it doesn't affect you anymore (laughs) yeah like it's not just because you can then talk about it doesn't mean like you've solved it and it's over and it's that's it so as you say about you know it's not not always as easy as just sharing something and then you get to walk away from it You've also been quite open about your experiences with trolling in relation to Instagram and, you know, being a quite a public voice, you know, in, in this conversation. And especially, I think, you know, because you do a lot of work around the gym and exercise and working out and however you want to talk about it. Um when I see stuff like that happening, when I see you talking about it, it really makes me want to be like, well, how do we get to a point where you aren't 
experiencing like awful trolling because you're going to the gym I mean to me it makes no sense but I'm like I would love to know how we could try and make that situation any better yeah the trolling is that's something that's kind of really um really amped up I think within like the last year or so and I have noticed as well that it is kind of runs parallel to when something bad happens in the world so when we get put into another lockdown people think mm. it's almost like, they're like I need someone to focus out on well Sophie's an easy target <laughs> you know so let's go leave some comments on her post but um I think in general we we obviously know it's a it's a big big problem um that kind of it's it's not even just isolated to social media. It's in big media and it's in it's in real life as well. The way we talk about people and the way we think about other people. Um, but and from my personal experience, um, it's kind of really sort of amped up. I think the more, and I'm I don't know if that's the right word, but I'm going to use it. But the, the more unapologetic that I've been, mm-hmm. um, and from what what I kind of have understand and come to terms with is the people who are who are leaving these comments. I, I can't imagine they're very happy um, with, within their own lives. And, that you know, there's always a no profile picture, no name, no personal information. Um, so it's, it's kind of someone who is literally just using you as a punching bag. Um, and it's kind of really hard yeah. to balance allowing yourself to be upset because it really annoys when people are like don't let these people upset you and blah 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 because that was my friend I'd be like you should you you have a right to be upset and I, and I don't think we should have to suppress all of our feelings because it's a natural human response like if someone come up to you in the street and they was like you're obese you're fat you're gonna you're one cake away from a heart attack or you know you're disabled your life isn't worth living you know go kill yourself, whatever, which is all comments that I've had. If someone was to come and say that to me in the street, you wouldn't say, don't let it get to you. So just because it's on social media, yeah. it shouldn't be very any different. And I've had so many conversations with um, with brands and with other influencers of how do we actually deal with this? Because, um, I mean, I, I was just kind of a little bit dumbfounded because I was very used to dealing with in real life comments that are upsetting and because as a disabled person you do get it in real life as well people say things that upset you and that all the time so I'd learned how to deal with that but I hadn't learned to deal with it at the volume of which I was starting to get it online I think there was one particular um Gymshark post it was at the start of the year where there was about four to five hundred comments um which were all of like the ones that I just imitated um and it was really really hard because it was such a volume but when I was speaking to the Gymshark team I was like I don't get it. I just want to show up and do what every other single person on this team is doing. So why am I getting, why am I being, it feels like an ambush. Why am I being ambushed with this? Um, Yeah. And it did kind of really put me into a bad mental state because obviously we was in lockdown at that point as well. It's in January. It's kind of like the worst time of the year for, you know, January blues or whatever. Um, And I was really, really knocked for six by it. And but this year really has been very mentally and very emotionally hard. And I think that has kind of been like the trigger um, for everything I've been feeling this year um and I've had so many conversations with Gymshark of how do we um and I say Gymshark specifically because that's where the the conversation really arose of this being a problem and I I just got to say like they're really hot on it from a brand perspective and we've had so many conversations of not just them saying well this is how we deal with it it's them going well how would you like us to deal with it what makes you feel safe yeah what what would you like to do because I used to find it quite funny when 
I know I or Gymshark as a brand or other brands would kind of clap back to comments like that. And it, it looks funny and it is funny and it kind of puts people in their place. But then the more that I've experienced it, the more I've realized I think these people actually like the attention. So I, no, I'm not necessarily sure how clapping back kind of really helps to stop this kind of stuff. So the the place that I'm kind of in now and the conversations that I've had with Gymshark and other brands is I think comments that are specifically um, discriminatory or vulgar or hateful just need to be removed. Um, that's just my personal stance. I think they need to be removed. And then I think a comment needs to be made by the brand of this will not be tolerated in the space. You'll not get the attention you're looking for. You will just be blocked. And that's that. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's totally fair as well. And like you say, it's it's so personal how you deal with these things. Because I mean, I totally agree. It's It's very easy to say to someone, oh, well, you know, it's just it's just some miserable person in their house who's, you know, sending you a message, like, don't pay any attention to it. But, like, it's like getting, you know, when you get DMs and stuff, it's like someone texting you. And when they're saying, like, really vicious, awful things, like, I think you're totally right. It's fine to not feel like you can just ignore that. And, like, that's not okay. It's not an okay thing to do to people. Yeah, I think the way that I've kind of really um the way that I think about it because I think dealing with it publicly and dealing with it in a very formal manner is one thing but then also I think you've got to deal with it personally as well um and the way that I kind of deal with it internally is I mean because I as you were I'm a massive music music fan music's very big in my household and we grew up kind of worshipping Madonna um which my dad is always so embarrassed when I tell people this but we are a big Madonna household um and I kind of grew up seeing the way that she was treated in the media and like I I growing up seeing that made me like one terrified because I was like this woman is just doing her job and I didn't you know we she was grew up kind of celebrating that household so I was like but why are they attacking her like this um but then also seeing the way that she was just getting on and doing what she wanted she was like look you can say what you want about me you can make all these rumors up regardless whatever I'm still going to show up and do what I want and I think I kind of really learned a lot from that but also I remember she gave this interview once where she was talking about just as you don't let people's negative um things they say get to you you've also got to take everything positive that people say with a pinch of salt because people's opinions on you flip-flop day and night and that's something that's always really stuck with me and you've seen it with largely women I think in media yeah all the time one minute they hate you and the next minute they love you so I think that's something that I always bear in mind and it's not just you know famous people or influencers or whatever you see it a lot in real life people's opinions flip-flop on women and I'm saying women specifically because I think there is a misogynistic undertone to it but it probably does happen to men as well um so yeah, I think that's just something that I always bear in mind. And I, it's really kind of given me a lot of peace when people make comments about, particularly about my body. So you could be, get, I could see like a heap of comments of people being like, you're disgusting, you're obese, you're this, you're that, whatever. And then I go into another load of comments where it's people being like, oh my God, I would kill for your body. I love your body. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm looking at the two thinking, these don't add up. How can these be yeah. about the same person? And it's just kind of really taught yeah. me that one opinions flip-flop and two um it's literally just that it's an opinion it's nothing to do with me um and people can have such contrasting opinions on the same thing um but their opinion is their business and I just kind of really sat there and thought well if people if there's people in this world who literally can hate Madonna and Beyonce and say all these things about them then people's opinions aren't my business (laughs) yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's so true. Like, it's a hard place to get to. But I think, I mean, you're totally right. There's only so much, like, you can't really control how people are going to respond to you all the time. Do you feel like being a Madonna house and kind of looking looking up to other women, has that, because you talk about a lot about self-love and kind of um, the celebration of yourself and all that kind of thing online as well. And do you think that's played into how you've kind of grown up and developed you know the love for yourself or is like what's how like how have you done it basically because this I feel like this is what people always want to know as well when when people are feeling you know a bit low on confidence or like they would really like to feel more empowered or kind of stronger in their own selves how did you come to foster that where did you come from <laughs> yeah and I, I think I think I think that question of like where did you where did that come from um it's such a, a great question it's a question I get asked a lot because I think we live in a world where it's so much more natural to tear yourself down than it is to actually yeah. not even big yourself up but just to be okay with yourself and just to be happy in who you are um and so often I get like people I, I get people call me um, arrogant or, you know, all other words that basically just mean confident. Um, and so I, 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 I would say now I am the person that I've kind of always wanted to be. I grew up quite like a shy, um, like kid. Um, so I kind of, I, I always wanted to be like this Madonna or like strong, confident person, but I kind of never really had like the tools to be that, or I kind of didn't really see how I could be that. Um, and I think things kind of really changed after my accident. I think I started to kind of really work on my confidence just before my accident. But then when I think back on it, I thought I was confident at the time, but I was only confident because of certain things. So because I had lost a bit of weight and because I built muscle and because I looked a certain way, whereas if I had suddenly, um, maybe if I put on a bit of weight or if I had X, Y, Z had happened or whatever, I think my confidence would have um changed very like a lot I think my confidence was very dependent on external factors and how I looked at a particular time um whereas now I think the way that my confidence is different is because it is um it's more of like an internal thing and I'm kind of happy with um just being who I am like so I put on a little bit of weight over lockdown and, and it's kind of not really affected my confidence just because I'm just genuinely just very at peace with who I am but also learning that like the way that I look is kind of very, very meaningless. And it's kind of very pointless. And that kind of didn't really come till after my injury because it was such a, a life-changing, but also life-threatening um, injury. Like when it happened, I didn't think I was going to make it through it. So when I came back from it and there was a, a massive period of depression and kind of low self-image, low self-confidence and image problems after. But once I'd kind of begin to sort of work through that, I realized that like, you could have lost so much more, you know, you you could have, you could not be here right now. Um, and so I kind of was just really like, well, just kind of need to take life by the horns. I'm not, I've already wasted so many years waiting to be the person I want to be. Like, why don't I just become that person? Yeah, it makes me think of um, Georgie Swallow as well, who talks, uh, talks kind of a lot about this as well. And has sort of, um, has talked about when she was going through cancer treatment and, the way that that like affected her body image but then you come out the other side of it and you realize like how am I still how am I still kind of thinking about like what my body looked like then and what it looks like now when your body has done so much and kind of you've recovered from so much yeah and that's kind of exactly the way that I thought about it is because like 
But I mean, the way that I think about it is like my body has done so much for me, despite everything externally that, that and internally that it was be, that it has been through. Um, and I just kind of think the way that I think of it is like, how can you be so petty as to ask um, something as like minor as something appearance related over your body when it's done all of this for you? Yeah. Like something that I get really self-conscious of is I have muscle atrophy in my legs just because where I don't use them. Um, so and and. Uh, yes, I have muscle atrophy, so there's kind of basically like little to no muscle tissue in there, and it's kind of not really noticeable unless I'm standing up in physio or if I'm like getting in that the chair or something like that. But it's something that I'm I'm very aware of, um, and it's something that's quite common but in spinal injuries. Um, and whenever I find myself kind of getting hooked up on that, I kind of just remember everything that my body has done for me, and I'm like everything it's done for you, and you're upset because it doesn't look the way you want it to it just feels like such a petty request and I think because we live in such a hyper-focused world on appearance um I think it's 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 not a I I I kind of I feel bad when I'm kind of a little bit like oh you, you shouldn't be so obsessed with your appearance because I don't blame people for being obsessed with their appearance because we're taught to be because it makes people money um but it is always just good something to have in the back of your head that's like look this it's okay to feel this way because you've been taught to feel this way by so many different factors, but you just need to remember that that you know deep down that this doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is a good way to look at it. And I think it's kind of, I find it interesting because like I'll hear you talk about self-love a lot, but then also talk about in terms of more body image I've heard you talk about neutrality recently. So it's kind of that like balance I find really interesting of like, loving yourself but when people talk about like self-love and all that you know that conversation they're quite often talking about their bodies and how they look and actually that's not necessarily what's gonna make you feel better it's like you as a person you're more than your body I think that's so often because I think especially as a woman and I, and I talk about a lot from the perspective of a woman that's just because I am a woman <laughs> and um, I think that's and just because I yeah and I can't talk about anything else personally but also I think because a lot of these topics we talk about there is such a misogynistic undertone to a lot of the problems mm-hmm. that we're talking about um so I I think a, a, but the big problem is is I think that we are taught that our bodies are commodities so when we're taught about loving something or hating something or you know to do with ourselves it has to be our body um when and really there are so many other parts of you there's so many facets of you um and there are so many like other things to celebrate and to love um like I know like for me like when it comes to my body I'm I'm very neutral there I have days where I weren't out there and I'm like oh you look really cool like I really like it or I'm like I like the way that my hips look in this outfit or whatever um or sometimes I just feel very neutral I'm like yeah that's my body um and that's that I don't love it I don't hate it in that moment it's just kind of is what it is and that I I found for, for the majority of people to be a lot more achievable and I think the self-love conversation becoming more mainstream is really really great but also I think there is a danger of it being a capitalistic tool where a lot of brands are now catching on to it and being like well we can't tell people to hate themselves anymore so we have to tell them to love themselves <laughs> to buy their products um so and that, that's just oh one thing God, that, that so I'm true. <laughs> it's so true isn't it it's just one thing that I'm conscious of so because I, a lot of people and a lot of I know like my my audience and a lot of the audience that I, that I, that I communicate and talk with they might look at a lot of maybe like my self-love campaigns or different self-love campaigns in the media and think 
well, I'm not, I'm so far away from being at that level of confident that I couldn't Mm. do that. So that's where the idea of neutrality comes in and, and just kind of just accepting that that is your body. Any pretext around it is things that you've been taught to think about it um, by society or by different things. So you you don't have to love it or hate it. You can just be like, yeah, that's my body. Um, and, and that's that. It is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree. I think that's, I mean, personally, I find that way more achievable. And like, that would certainly feel closer to where I am. I feel like because people then will have those conversations and I feel like anyone who has like a reasonable platform online you'll then get people who are like how like how are you so confident like how do you have so much faith in yourself and like what you look like and what you do and everything and I don't I don't think everyone necessarily does but it's kind of I think after a certain point like you say when you're so used to people commenting on you it's almost like a self-preservation thing you just have to like switch off and be like well this is what I look like you're either gonna like it or you're not so I'm either going to like it or I'm not in any particular moment and you can't change it in five seconds flat so you just deal with it I guess yeah you have to have that that found and I always call it you have to have that foundation of what you think of yourself um and that doesn't mean that you completely ignore what people maybe maybe someone's trying to give you constructive I can't say that word constructive criticism there we go um maybe sometimes (laughs) maybe sometimes trying to do that for you um and and you and it is a time to sit and listen but for the large part if it's someone you know if it's ever someone commenting on your body or your appearance um or your experiences and people trying to minimize that then other people's opinions don't really matter um whether Mm. they're good or whether they're bad and that's something we touched on before you have to have that like that foundation of look i know who i am and I know what I think about myself. And that's kind of all that, that really matters. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Every week, my guest and I will be answering your questions, and the first one comes in from Karina. I'd like to ask Sophie about the language used towards disabled people, how she feels about it, and ways in which we can help to improve it. Yeah, this is a really this is a really good question because I think the first thing, and this is probably going to cover all of the questions that I get asked, is it's always important to bear in mind that the disabled community is so monumentally large. Um, everyone has different experiences based on their disability or based where they live, their you know their surroundings. So I think something that really puts a lot of people off is that disabled people will have a lot of differing opinions. Um, It shouldn't put you off the conversation and being involved and trying to be better. It should just help you to see the nuance um, in the conversation. So with that in mind, um, language is really, really important because the way that we talk to each other and the way that we communicate is a big sign of our respect for each other, but also, you know, you're communicating with someone because they are human. And I think a big problem with um, the, the uh, well, the disabled experiences, I think a lot of time we are dehumanized. And when people 
to brush it off like oh but it's just you know it's just a bit of language it's just a word like it, it's not it does have a lot of weight to it so the way that the, I personally sit on language is you normally um to, to kind of really simplify it you have like person first identity and then you have identity first um so person first being person with a disability and then identity first being um, disabled person. So I identify with identity first, which is disabled person. Um, and that's because a lot of the time from my personal experience, I've had people try to erase my identity as disabled. So mm. you'll hear things like, but you're too young to be disabled or you're too pretty to be disabled or I don't really see you as disabled. And I kind of think, but I am. Yeah. And I need you to see me as disabled so that I can have the measures in place. And so you can just see me for who I I am like just it's really that simple um and so that's why I prefer um identity first but also as well because it puts the word disabled out on the table um and I get to control it uh there there is like a big discussion right now normally from non-disabled people of saying like I don't like to use the word disabled and I'm like why it shouldn't be offensive to you mm-hmm. like I find it very uncomfortable when people are so offended by the word um so I like to just put put that word out on the table like it's there I own it and it's almost like kind of reclaiming it and just being like look it's just an identity there's nothing bad about it and we just kind of need to get comfortable with saying it um where some people like to use I person first which is person with a disability um which is their own personal choice and I I think whatever each disabled person decides for them is totally valid for them but it's when non-disabled people start to decide for you which is when it becomes an issue for me so People might like to use person first identity if maybe they've struggled to be seen for anything other than their disability. Um, And maybe they kind of want you to really know that, look, I am a person. And I think what I believe and what that person believes who maybe goes with that is totally valid. But it just comes from having different experiences. That's fair. Do you think it would be a fair question to literally like ask someone what kind of language they use? Like now we try and normalise, you know, like asking someone what pronouns they prefer for example would you say it's comparable to be like how would you like me to refer to your disability or would you prefer person first language like is that a reasonable question yeah I think it's kind of it's quite like a heavy question and I think something to bear in mind is that a lot of disabled people might not have actually thought about it before because you know when we're, we're, we're not all so engrossed in advocacy work and thinking about all of these things so a lot of that some disabled people might just be a little bit thrown by the question at first and just be like I've never thought about it before um, but I, I definitely don't think it's a bad question to ask personally um, I think especially in a workspace where it's going to be like continuous um, yes. engagement. I think maybe if you're just meeting someone on the street or maybe they're with your, you happen to, you know, have a drink together or whatever because you've got a similar friend group might be a little bit of a loaded question for such a casual yeah, meeting. Course. But I think if you're, yeah, and maybe if you're in like a workspace and you're going to be maybe, I don't know, maybe you're hiring them or maybe you're joining their team. Um, it might just be good just to be like, just, just wanted to run something by you just so that we're, we're all on the same page, um, you know, and then and just kind of bring it up. Do you prefer disabled person or person with a disability like you know and just kind of just being very just being very honest and just being like I'm very happy I just want to follow your lead and what what you prefer yeah okay well that was partly a question from me thank you so fantastic <laughs> next question is from Sage and she says as a new grad about to enter the rehabilitation field 
what is the most positive and or negative thing that a healthcare provider has said to you? Making sure that my future patients feel empowered is so important to me. I would love any advice from you. Oh, that's a really sweet question. Um, I get a lot of these questions where it's like people are going into a field and they kind of want to know what they can do. Um, and that's kind of always really nice to see because I think sometimes, and it's not just the healthcare field, it's, it's every field, but you kind of get this kind of like mentality where, well, things have always been done this way. So, you know, they will be done this way. But I always really love it when people have this kind of very open attitude to actually learning from the people who they're working with and who have actually experienced these things um because it's it's very different to be on because when I think back to like my nurses and my doctors and physios and stuff like that like they know a lot more of me than me in terms of science stuff (laughs) but they don't know what it's like to be that person in the bed having the treatment done um so I always kind of really I really really do appreciate that kind of willingness to learn more about the actual experience itself um and in terms of good and bad experiences um I mean I've had a lot of both I did go through um and it was more like because I went when my injury happened I had to go to three different hospitals so I was in one hospital for my surgery and then I was kind of basically in and out of consciousness for two weeks and while I'm sort of in the out of consciousness got moved to another hospital which was closer to home um I barely remember it happening and I was there for about another five weeks and then I got put into a spinal rehabilitation unit so I've seen a lot of different practitioners and I've been in a lot of different settings and I've had a lot of bad and some very good experiences as well um and I think really when I think about a lot of the bad and really quite traumatizing experiences that I've had and they're the ones that kind of really still haunt me and keep me up a lot at night um the actual accident itself has left me with a lot of trauma but it was the way that I was treated after that um, after yeah. the accident and by a lot of healthcare professionals that has really stuck with me because it's your first taste it's the first page of this new life and I felt that I was dehumanized in a lot of my experiences and there's a lot of experiences I go into it but the really the core of it was dehumanization so small things like doctors would talk about me in like the third person but whilst being at the bottom of my bed um, and you know talking about such really graphic um details of my injury and what's going on inside my body but in front of me and I'm a little bit like I can hear you <laughs> you know like it's, yeah. it's and it's scary um and then there's like I like just just really really like like horrible things that I've heard and I think at the time I don't I didn't process them because I was in survival mode um but then now like a few years down the line I'm thinking back on them I'm thinking god like that was so dehumanizing so I think really at the core of it is just to remember that you're you're going to see so many patients come in and out through your door, but every single one of them is a human. Every single one of them is probably scared, probably feeling lonely, um, and probably very very worried. But they all they all tick in very different ways. Uh, uh, you know, and as we learned from the start of this podcast, they probably all have very different niche interests. Um, and I think a lot of <laughs> yeah. the, the best experiences. <laughs> Yeah, maybe they're a history geek or a science geek, I don't know. But um, a lot of the really good experiences that I've had is where um, OTs or physios have really done like not not really intensive work on getting to know me, but done little things in getting to know me. So I think like asking like simple questions about maybe music or TV or literature or whatever you think that person might be interested in, something that just makes them feel like they have a connection with you. And that it doesn't just feel so clinical and so 
and just so inhumane. I think just making, seeing that person as a human. Absolutely. Thank you for that. This question is from Jaron, who says, I have rheumatoid arthritis. Sometimes I feel like I'm asking for more than I should, especially on a public bus. My pain is really bad if I don't sit down, but since I'm only 18, people look at me weird and think I should be standing instead of sitting down and taking a seat away from perhaps the elderly. As a young person with an invisible disability, what should we do? Yeah, I think this is a really good question. And and I always kind of feel a little bit like when it's questions about outside of my disability, I always kind of feel like, do I have a do I have a right to be talking about this and whatever? But I, I I'm going to talk about it in a way of which I can relate. Is um sometimes when I pull up to a, a disabled parking bay, so a blue badge bay, um people are very very hot on um if you're disabled or not. Um it's a big big problem, especially in disabled yeah. parking bays. Um and I show up in you know, my nice car, um, you know, I'm showing up to the gym or whatever. And people look at me and because of all the stereotypes that people have about disabled people, um, and I'm bearing in mind, I'm always driving around on my own as well. I, I drive around my own most of the time. So um, people look at me and they go, well, you're not disabled. And that's literally just as I pull into the bay. Um, and obviously I have, I'm kind of lucky in a way of which I can get my blue badge out and I can get out in my chair. And then people normally avert their gaze very quickly because they realize that they're being very rude. Um, but I have had instances where people have not even waited for me to get my badge out and have stormed up to the car and been like, you know, this is a disabled parking bay. And I'm like, yeah, being paralyzed. I think, I think I know that. I'm very aware of that. Um, and it's very, very different to what obviously the person in the question in is experiencing, but yeah. it kind of relates back to that whole theme where there is this big problem in the disabled community um, and outside the disabled community where it's almost like you have to prove you're disabled enough. Mm. Um, and it's even with like, even with my disability, and I would say that I've got a very stereotypical disability because I'm a full-time wheelchair user, I'm paralyzed. That's the first thing people think of when they think of disability. But because I'm young and independent, um, I do sometimes get people question my disability a lot and either, is she faking it? Or, you know, do you really need... Um, xyz whatever you know because you see oh, i mean come on exactly and it, but it is a very very real thing that that kind of a lot of a lot of people experience so yeah. i i totally understand what this person is saying and, and why they would be made to feel guilty for requesting certain things but i think the thing that that i can just really advise is knowing that y- you you know what you need more than anyone else and I think it's really important to establish to yourself right I need xyz so it could be I need a seat on the bus I can't stand for long periods of time and that could just be one of your things I don't know um anymore you would know better than anyone else um so I think it's just really important to establish to yourself your needs and 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 know that they are worthy and you are worthy of this help and with this need so when it comes to actually uh, putting it in place or asking for it you already have that foundation of you knowing what you need yourself um, and it's really really hard to do and I, I struggled with it and sometimes still do because I'm stubborn um, but sometimes there'll be cases where I'm like I should have asked for help there and sometimes I've maybe gone too far like pushed myself too far and maybe ended up hurting myself because I'm like I can do this independently it's fine um, mm. and then it it was so much easier if I just had help and just asked for help, but I didn't want to because I didn't want to feel like a burden. Um, so I think it's just important to say that, like, 
whatever you need, your accessibility needs, you are not a burden. Everyone to some degree needs some level of accessibility needs. Yeah. Um, you know, even if even if that's like you, so say like for you, say if we went out for dinner and they said to you, right, Gemma, yeah, it's accessible for you, but you've got to fly across a, a, a river of lava to get there. Or you'd be like, no, so it's not accessible, is it? Um, mm. So, and that's obviously a very dramatic um, example. But every everyone in some way has some kind of access need. Um, it's just that I think people really only see it as an issue, and I use issue in quotations there. Um, people only see it as like a thing when it's for disabled people. Yeah, which is which is always very interesting to me. Um, but yeah, just knowing that you you are entitled to to your needs and i think you need to work on that foundation of understanding that you need this um and what everyone else is thinking really isn't your problem um and don't feel guilty about that you're taking it away from someone else because at the end of the day you still you still need what you need yeah i love that answer i think i feel like that will will help them which is really nice i always love it when I'm like, I feel like they'll really like that. <laughs> Not just giving them the, the image of you flying across a river of lava. <laughs> Last question is from Chelsea. And she says, my question is, how do you tell your parents to stop body shaming you? My dad recently got into a relationship with a woman who is super fit slash healthy. She always makes comments about how I need to start eating more healthily or to exercise more. But personally, I really like my body and how it looks. Almost every time I'm around my dad and his girlfriend, they say something negative about my body. Yeah, this is a really hard one. And I think I think questions about family are, are always really hard because I think there is a degree of, you know, we, we don't know everything about this family and mm-hmm. we only get like this snapshot. So um, and the way that each family deals with every single thing in their life is so individual. Um, but I think really at the core of it, it is just it is body shaming. So I'm going to talk about it within how I would deal with body shaming generally. Um, yeah. And it's I think it's it's even that more upsetting because it's your family. It's the place that you want to feel safe and trusted and kind of comfortable. Um, but it's really really nice to hear that person say that actually I quite like my body um, because it sounds like they have a good foundation of their self worth there and a good image of themselves. And I would say that they just really need to hone in and focus on that it sounds like they already have the good foundation so just work on building that um and i think one thing that's always really important to remember and i think we kind of forget that our families can do it as well but people project all the time um and sometimes when when someone says something to me which is body shaming or whether they say say anything to me i always kind of stop and i take, take a second i think do they mean this or are they projecting and I think only you can know in that moment whether they are. Um, and I'm not saying that, you know, the dad and the girlfriend are, are projecting, but, you know, it's something to consider. Um, they obviously seem to be they're very, like, focused on their health and what they consider health to be anyway. Um, yeah. So it's important to remember that people project all the time and it's actually really nothing to do with you. Um, and I and I think like moving on from that, it might. I don't know if you've ever tried tried to have a conversation with them and just be like, look, this is not something that I'm interested in. Um, it's a bit like someone's trying to constantly give you a flyer, and you have to just be like, no, I don't want the flyer. Um, very very happy with where I'm currently at. So it might just be one of them situations, and it might be that if you're very open and honest with them and just be like look this is how I feel and this is how it's making me feel um that could lead to a possibility it might lead to more conversations I I can't say it would work out 
well I don't know I don't know how your family would take it but but at least you can know that you have put that boundary in place whether they choose to respect it or not it's up to them but you've put that boundary in place um so that it's it's out there it's on the table of how you feel about it and then you can continue to work on that foundation of your self-worth and what you consider health to be. I think we've, I've definitely experienced it with the fitness industry in general. People have such a narrow idea of what health and what fitness is. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, and it is, it is a big, big problem. And so I think, you know, it's just important to remember that what their idea of health is um, and what their what their interests what their fitness interests are don't have to be yours I think a lot of the time parents see their kids as extensions of themselves um, rather than being their own individual people now I'm saying this as someone who doesn't have kids who's not interested in having kids so I don't know if I'm even qualified to be saying that but I know that it's definitely something that that some parents do do where they see their kids as an extension of themselves and not their own people in, in their own right so um that's just something to remember you are not an extension of your parents and you don't have to do as as they do yeah they don't get to decide what you do with your body like yes they had a hand in making it but that's that's where it ends yeah and you you're I mean they're not entitled for you to live your life um down to every degree of which they want you to just because they're your parents which I know some parents would probably try and slap me for saying but you know that that's just the kind of way that my my dad raised me is you know it's just you don't owe me anything just because I've brought you into this world Mm -hmm. I have a great deal of respect for my dad I'd do anything for my dad but um he understands that I'm my own person and, and and that's that we're separate to each other. Remember, if you want to get in touch with us or have any questions for future episodes, email me at goodinfluencepod at gmail.com. And if you want to know what the upcoming episodes are, keep an eye on at goodinfluencegs. Before you go, I've got three things I ask of every guest, and that's if listeners want to find out more about what we've been talking about in this episode. Could you please give us a recommendation for something to read, something to listen to, and something to watch? Yes. So uh, I'll start off with read because... I'm a massive book geek and I love books. So um, I would say when it comes to learning more about disability, there are so many great books about disability out there. Um, Some of them are more autobiographical. Some of them are more theory-based. And I think especially some of the theory-based ones can be quite heavy and they put a lot of people off. Mm. Um, So I would say if if you are... even if you're disabled and you're wanting to read more from other disabled authors or if you are non-disabled and you're just wanting to see a little bit more behind the curtain and and hear a little bit more about his experiences and kind of dip your toes in I think a really great one to start with I've got it beside me so that I get it correct is um, Sitting Pretty The View from My Ordinary Resilient Disabled Body by Rebecca and I'm going to butcher this surname um, Torsig I probably said that wrong but that's the book. We'll put it in the show notes. (laughs) Yeah, me being like, I know I'm going to mess this bit up, but it's a really, really great book. And and what I really like about it is it's got a lot of nuance to it. um, Mm. And it covers so many different topics um, regarding disability. And it's from a perspective of, I think, her own experiences, but it covers a lot of different theories as well and a lot of Mm. different issues. So that's what I'd recommend to read. I've I've literally recommended it to like all of my friends. I did an event earlier in the year for International Women's Day and... um, it was with Gymshark and they were like, you know, we can we can send stuff out. What do you want to send people out? And I was like, please send them this book. Like, it's so, so send great. Them books. 
please send them books get people to read more but um it's really really great and as a disabled person as well i i i because when i went into it i'd consider myself already to be quite confident but i when i went into it i just felt very seen um i just felt it was almost like someone just being like look holding up a mirror and being like someone's having similar experiences to you so it's really great in that respect as well um, and there's something to watch. There was a really great documentary by the BBC that came out earlier this year, and it's called Silence, the Hidden Story of Disabled Britain. Um, and it's really, really great. And it covers basically the history of um, how disabled people were treated in Britain. Um, and it's it's a really, really great documentary and it covers quite a lot of ground. It's quite, I don't know if it's quite long, I think it's maybe like two-ish hours. So it's one of the ones that's really great to kind of um, watch and give your full attention. So maybe pin mm-hmm. in right Friday night, Thursday night, whatever, put it in the diary and be like, I'm going to give this a good watch. Um, so I'd really, really recommend that. Um, and then to listen, I don't have any disability um, recommend related recommendations, but as we've known that I have loads of weird and niche interests. Um, and we've spoken a lot about body love and confidence and stuff like that so i am actually gonna recommend lizzo's 2019 um album nice um because i love you pretty sure it's called because i love you um because i i just think she's amazing and me being a big music geek i think with oh this is me, me really going into it now but i think with lizzo i think she has such a great musical talent but people i think get too sidetracked by the work that she does in kind of body positivity and that kind of stuff yeah. that I think when it comes to musically, I think she's massively um, underrated and I, I wish people would pay more attention to that side of things, but also the lyrics just make you feel so good. Um, so that is what I wish everyone would start their day with a bit of Lizzo. And that's what I'd recommend you to listen to. Thank you for listening. And thank you, Sophie, for joining me. If you've enjoyed the episode, I'd love you to subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform you're using. And if you've got an extra minute, you can leave a rating and review as well. Your reviews make a big difference and help other people find the podcast. See you next week.